Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I went to uh, I went to uh, Comic Con last week, which is in San Diego. So for for those of you who are not familiar with it, that's a it's really like an international um, sort of uh, celebration uh, of of pop culture. So it started off as a comic book convention maybe 30, 40 years ago, and it's just like mushroomed into something like 150,000 people in this very small area in, in San Diego. And it's, um, it's just, a, just a celebration of uh, movies and, and television and comic books and video games and just graphic novels, just everything sort of like media and pop culture related. And um, it's, really, it's really something, like just to describe the energy there, a lot of people dress up as their favorite uh, pop culture Figures from movies and TV. Bless you. Bless you. And it's uh, it's it's really it's quite a wild scene. Um, they have a zombie walk. I don't know if they did that this year, but all the people who are dressed as zombies like walk down. They they have like a zombie parade. And actually, it was actually a very unfortunate incident last year. They decided to attack a car, like they do in like The Walking Dead. And the person who was behind the wheel didn't know what was happening, and just like hit the gas and like ran over an old woman, you know, so people, people get really into it. So, I, you know, anyway, I'm certainly not making light of her inner injury, injury, but just, you've got like basically this huge, small, like, you know, nuclear core of super fans basically is, 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 is the idea. And, um, you know, I don't know, like one way of describing it, I was trying to think of how to describe being actually in the middle of it. And it's like being at, um, being at a zoo inside of an amusement park. So it's, like, <laughs> it's just like very, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild, you know, just sensory bombardment from like every angle. So anyway, there's a Chabad. Uh, nearby and just a few blocks away and and so they have kind of their big Shabbos of the year because people are coming in from all over and and they they host a Shabbaton every year for for Comic-Con and and it's it's great to be able to you know participate in Comic-Con and at the same time be able to have a real place to to have for Shabbos which is really nice and um, I know that uh, one of the one of the guys there was was telling me he's a he's like a big tall strapping handsome Chabadnik, and and he told me that he was walking down the street and he had a long, a long black his long black coat on right, which is you know the sort of traditional garb, and he had his talis on over that, and he was stopped by several people asking him which superhero he was dressed as, <laughs> and you know you can see it it really kind of like you know when you think of it in that way it looks like he's wearing a cape and you know it's, it really looks like a it really looks like an outfit way especially the way he was sort of like you know, carrying it off. So, um, so anyway, uh, there are all sorts of things that happened. Um, but I just want to tell you one, one, one kind of story that sort of started at Comic-Con for me and then uh, kind of went back to my house. And it's kind of a crazy story. But I learned, I thought there were a couple of lessons in it. So, so let me just tell it to you. So I've been collecting comic books on and off. When I say on and off, mostly off. <laughs> I don't think I've read an actual comic book in, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. But as collectibles, just as objects of art, especially from the early 1960s to mid-60s, which is known as the Silver Age, 
they're very beautiful to me anyway. They, I really like modern art. I especially like the pop artists like Lichtenstein and Warhol, that, that type of era. And these, um, these comic books really are done in that style, that, that sort of modern art style. So anyway, um, so I started collecting, I guess, when I was in around seventh grade, and I've sort of kept my comic books. And every, I don't know, five or ten years, I get interested in them again, <laughs> and then maybe I'll collect a few more, and then I'll forget about it for another ten years or something like that. So, so anyway, so, so at one point during, uh, during Comic-Con, I found out that there's a certain comic book that's like really, that I have, that's really risen in value. Now, now when, just so you've got a perspective on this, I'm not talking about like Superman number one or, you know, like, you know, that Spider-Man number one, nothing, nothing in those like <laughs> exalted sort of like uh, 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 ranges. I mean, we're talking about very extremely modestly priced things, but within that range, there was like a very big jump because uh, Marvel announced that they're going to make a movie out of these characters. It's called, they're called the Inhumans, right? So I was like, wow, you know, that took a big jump and I, I've got that one. And I think I got it in really good condition, you know, meaning like excellent condition. Um, and that, that's great, you know, I, I can't wait, you know, to find it. But the thing is, is that in, in sort of this uh, room that I work in in my house, it's called my office, it's just a room basically, you know. The office sounds a little bit fancy, it's mostly just a place, you know, piled with cardboard boxes. But, um, but in, in the closet, there, there's a closet there, and I remember putting that, that comic book along with a couple of others in the closet as a safe place. And that closet is, you know, has a lot of things in it. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of junky, you know. But um, so I, 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 I have a clear memory of putting it there. And it's been, and I've checked a few times over the years, and it hasn't been there. So, so... And like I said, I was very excited because I just found out that this one really jumped in value. I really wanted to find it. Now, let me just cut back a few years ago and, and just tell you just another story, but it's, it's part of this story. So the same thing had happened to me a few years back where I had taken just like a really my very, what, what I thought anyway, were my, my very best comic books. And this was like a small stack of like, I don't know, maybe four comic books, and I put them in that same closet. And this was now going back a, a few years from, from looking for the other comic. And I checked in the closet, and they weren't there. And I checked over a period of a few years, every, every few months or whatever it is, six months, whatever it is, I'd go, you know, they have to be in there. And I'd, I'd look for them, and they weren't there. And, you know, at a certain point, I even sort of entertained some dark thoughts. Is it possible that this person took them, or that person, and then I thought, no, 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 it's impossible, it's impossible. No one took them, they, they've got to be in there. You know, and then one time, now this is really crazy, one time, I open up the closet door to look for them again, because I'm convinced that they're in there. I open up the closet door, and they just fall from a shelf right in front of my eyes. Now, just, let's just think about that for a moment, because you have to understand just how insane that is. How long does it take for that to happen, for for comics to fall, and they were in a, like a, a like a ripped Manila kind of like envelope, to to fall from a shelf maybe four feet high, four feet, two seconds, three seconds maybe, 
I have been looking over a period of two or three years periodically in this closet, and at the moment I open up the door, that two-second thing happened in front of my eyes. Do you, do you understand how crazy that is? It's like, it's, it's, it's sort of miraculous. I don't want to overstate it, but, but, right, the Ramban, right? Remember the Ramban says that if you want to have any share in the Torah of Moshe, you have to understand that everything is miraculous. So if everything is miraculous, this is certainly miraculous. So, so because of this experience, I thought that the, the Inhumans one, the ones that I just found out a few days ago, had jumped in value, even though I had checked the closet a few times for them over a period of time, I said, okay, just like I had checked for those others, and it took a long time for them to appear, and they just appeared, so these ones are in there also, and they're going to appear. I just have to keep on looking. So I told my son that um, this comic book has become valuable, and he's like, he likes to take on projects and like cleaning out like a, you know, like a closet like this is like, you know, right up his alley. So, you know, he wants to tackle it and he goes, okay. He says, if I find it, do I get a reward? And I'm like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Because I was really, I really wanted to find it too. He's, and then he starts like trying to negotiate a percentage of its value. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, relax. Just take, a, take, take a step back, you know. We'll, we'll figure out something. We'll figure out something good. But, um, so he says, okay. So, he, you know, I come home from work, like, a couple of days later, and he's like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going into the class, and he gets two sort of industrial size hefty trash bags, and we, we go into the closet. And I emptied out, and without even really um, cleaning the closet, two large industrial size hefty trash bags of garbage, and still didn't find it. And took out like all the like just about all the boxes from the from the place, and so that was like okay. And then it was like getting really late at that point, and I was like, ah, I just got to go to sleep. So so, and I'm thinking that's really strange because I mean we really looked at that point, and it wasn't in there. So the next morning, you know, I'm I'm at Minyan of it's Shachris, you know, it's the morning davening, and during the Shmona Esrei, I I say to God. Hashem, where's the comic books? Come on, you know, it's like, where, you know, I, I, they're, I, they're there, and I, I really want them, and uh, where are they, you know, I mean, they, they got to be somewhere, where are they, you know, and I was really, you know, talking from my heart to God, remember, like, Rebbe Nachman says that, you know, if you, you have to pray for everything, right, and, and, like, if you break your shoelace, you know, you have to daven for you have to ask God for new shoelaces. Like, nothing is beneath. Like, people, some people have an idea, and this is really, just simply speaking, just not a Jewish idea. You know, God's too busy. I don't want to bother him with everything. Anyone who has such a thought has no concept of the infinity of God, has no concept of the closeness of God, has no concept of the relationship that we're supposed to have with God. You're supposed to go to God with every single one of your needs, every single one of them no matter how mundane or unimportant you think they are. Because it's sort of like, you know, how could you not? Because you're so close, right? How could you not? Think about the type of things that you tell your best friend, right? Right? Would you, would you share it with God any less, who's a million times closer? So, so anyway, so I davened, and, uh, you know, went about my day, then, you know, went to work, came home, and uh, shortly after coming home, 
uh, from work, uh, my daughter tells me, oh, there's someone at the door collecting money. I was like, okay, you know. So I go, open up the door, ask him to come in, ask him to sit down. You know, I wrote him a check and then, uh, you know, brought him some, some, some water, a bottle of water and, and, and some fruit. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because the Gomorrah explains that there's tzedakah, which means it's translated as charity. But interestingly, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe points it out, tzedakah has the word tzedek in it. Tzedek means righteousness, meaning to say that, listen to this distinction, very important, not I gave tzedakah, therefore I'm so righteous. Not that, the opposite of that. Tzedek means righteousness, meaning it's the right thing to do. <laughs> in other words, to give something to someone who needs it, that's the right thing to do. You're not, I mean, it's great if you can do it, but you're doing the right thing. You know, so it's, it's proper behavior. So there's tzedakah, and then there's something called chesed, kindness, right? And the Gomorrah explains that you have to do tzedakah v'chesed, meaning to say that, that the giving out of charity and an and act of kindness, they have to go hand in hand. And the imagery that they, that they, that they use to explain how, how important that there's an act of kindness that goes with the dispensing of charity, of tzedakah, is that they compare it to like, if you have a seed, right? A seed is, is very beautiful. A seed is very beautiful and, it, and, and, you know, good things can come from a seed, but you need the earth to plant it in, right? Because the seed without the earth, like, you know, it's, it's not, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't blossom to its full potential. So they say that tzedakah is like a seed and the chesed, the kindness, is like the earth that gets planted in it. And when you do the two of the things together, then like a beautiful things come into the world. There's like a domino effect and beautiful things happen in the world. That's why they say when you give it tzedakah, it, there's like, it's, it's a quantumly higher level that even if you can't say, give them food with it at the same time, to say kind words. That, that there's no comparison really between someone who just hands someone, say, a dollar on the street and someone who hands someone a dollar on the street and says, you know, you know, have a great day, or, or, or you look great, or, you know, I, you know, stay strong, or whatever it is. Whatever words that you say, that that's a quantumly different act than just the simple dispensing of the charity itself. Okay, that's just something that everyone should know. So, as, as the man is leaving my house, you know, and he was, he's, he was from Israel, was very sort of quiet. He had sort of like a sort of like a very. These two words are going to sound uh, contradictory, but just follow me. He had sort of like a soft but intensity to him. You know, it was it was very nice, and you know, and he stops before he leaves the house, and he says, "I want to tell you something." I thought, didn't know what to expect, right? And he's holding the bottle of water. He's holding the apple and the check, and he says, "You know," he said, "I was outside." You brought me into your home. You gave me these things. It's an honor for me. It, it's, I just, it, it made me feel so good. He says, I want to give you a blessing. And you know, God willing, we get different blessings from different people over the course of our lives. But he gave a very special blessing. I felt like, you know what, something's happening. Like it was coming really from the inside of him. You could feel it. You could really feel it.
And, um, and then he, he leaves the house. You know, I wished him well. And then I go, it was dinner time, I go and I sit down at the dinner table and got back to the topic of hand, where is my comic book? <laughs> you know? So, so my wife says, it's in the garage. And I said, it's not in the garage. It's in the closet. Because I have a memory of it being in the closet. And she says, I'm telling you it's in the garage. And I think to myself, it's, it's not in the garage. But then I was also thinking, how could it be that I looked in the closet so much? I really, at that point, even though there were certain boxes that it could have been in the middle of the boxes, so there was a, a percentage, there was a slight chance that it was still in the closet. Something was telling me, you know what, you already looked, it's not in the closet. You gave it a real look, it's not in the closet. So I said, okay. You know, I was, I was like, you know, not going to be stubborn. I said, okay, I'm going to look in the garage. So I go into the garage, and whatever you imagine the office looks like, <laughs> the garage is like ten times worse. The garage is really like, you know, like, you know, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, that type of thing, you know, but only really like twisted around. So I had emptied out my, uh, my storage facility a couple years back, and I brought everything, and just there's just mounds of... I mean, it's sort of like you can't even walk into it. You literally have to, like, climb over things and hope that you don't trip and, like, you know, and then you just disappear for days. Like, where was he? I don't know. Where, you, know you know, they call the police missing person. Meanwhile, you're, like, lying in a, in a coma in the garage, you know? It's like, I, seriously, like, to, just to give you an idea, if it were, like, the forest, you would, like, need a machete and, like, cut through thickets, you know, to get through this place. And I notice when I walk in, that there's a box. And it's... N n the rest of my comics, and I had known because I had opened up all of the boxes when I got back from... When, when, I, when I transferred them from the storage facility, they all said comics on them. I opened them up, I looked through all of them and everything like that, and I knew it was not in any of those boxes. But then I see off to the side another box which is much smaller, like not in the shape of any of the other ones. And it says comics on it. And I thought, oh, that's strange. And so I go straight there. So it was like, almost like, so the amount of time I was in the garage was like under a minute. I mean, really, I, my eye just hit that box, and I walked straight for it. And I thought to myself, well, I must have opened this because I opened up all of my comic book boxes just to kind of take an inventory after I had transferred it from the storage facility. And I see that there's like nine strips of duct tape around it. And I thought, that's weird, because it looks sealed. And I thought, oh, I must have, like, just put the duct tape back on, right? Because I'm convinced that I looked in it. And I start to open the duct tape, and as I'm peeling it, you know, duct tape is really strong. It's, like, just, like, tearing, like, almost like powder. You know, like, it, it had disintegrated, right? So I'm just, like, opening, and as each piece I'm opening, I'm thinking to myself, I don't think I ever opened this box, and my son is standing next to me, and I get it open, and it's got like the, the premium, you know, you put uh, comic books in plastic kind of sleeves. And the, over the years since I've been collecting, you know, the, the older ones, a lot of the older ones have like junkier sleeves. It's almost like a saran wrap. But the, as I got a little more sophisticated, the other ones have more like clear, harder plastic sleeves, you know. They're, and these ones all have like, harder plastic sleeves. 
and I'm, and I'm, so I pull out a, a, a few, and I was like, <gasps> and my son says, did you find it? And I was like, no, but I didn't know I had these. And then I pulled out another bunch, and he said, and I was like, <gasps> and he said, you found it? I said, no, but I, I had no idea I had these. And then I pulled out another bunch, I was like, <gasps> And he's like, you found it. And I was like, no, but, but these are great too. And then I pulled out another bunch and I went, and he said, is that it? And I said, that's it, I found it. And he was like, do I still get the reward? And I said, yes. <laughs> you know? So now it wasn't quite in the condition that I hoped it would be. So unfortunately it didn't quite have the, the value that I, that I hoped it would, but nonetheless, it's, it's not nothing, as they say, you know? So now I want to tell you the two lessons from this story, okay? Because to me, there's sort of like two, like, Torah lessons that I'm learning from this story, all right? For now, anyway. Hopefully, maybe I'll learn more over the years. But right now, the first lesson is, is that if I hadn't looked in the closet and spent all that time looking in the closet, I never would have looked in the garage. In other words, in other words, when my wife was saying it's in the garage, I would have remained completely stubborn with this memory. And at one point it was in the closet, by the way. But I had taken it out. That part I had forgotten about. You see? So, so, so you could say you could say that, well, that whole night of like emptying out the closet and everything like that, that was a waste of time. Because the whole time it was really in, in the garage. But you see, a lot of times we have to go down dead ends. And they're not dead ends if we realize in the end that they were dead ends. In other words, if we go down a path, a lot of times, even if it doesn't yield the success that we're looking for, a lot of times those paths were successful because they pointed us to what the truth is. And there's a famous Hasidic story like this. It's a short story. But it goes like this, that there's a man who's lost in the, in the forest. And you know, back in the day, there, there are like a lot of parables about people being lost in the forest. And that's because there were a lot of forests. And, and it was easy to get lost in them. And it was a very horrible thing to get lost in the forest because you could really get lost for days. And then when it got nighttime, like there were all sorts of wild animals that would kill you. You know, wolves, like all sorts of things. And they'd kill you, you know? So you can imagine being whatever the modern equivalent of being in the worst neighborhood imaginable in the middle of the night, stuck and lost and completely vulnerable. That's what it was to be lost in the forest, you know? It was bad. So, so this man gets lost in the forest, and he's, you know, very afraid, and, and he's walking around, walking around, and he sees an old man. He's so happy. Oh, wow. So he says to the man, how do, you, how do I get out of the forest? And the man tells him, you know, the truth is I'm also lost. He says, but what I can tell you is which way not to go. Right? So, you see, again, a lot of times in our lives, we, we go down the wrong path, but that can lead us to going down the right path. And if it leads us to going down the right path, 
then we can take all of that time and energy that we put into going down the wrong path, and then in terms, it, 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 it redeems that time in our life, and it elevates that time in our life, because instead of it having been a dead end, now it was a gateway to arriving at the truth. And so we have the ability to completely transform our lives. You see? This is the incredible thing about what we call tshuva. Tshuva means to return, right? To return to who you really are. Not to become someone else, but to return to the truth of who you really are. And, and the rabbis teach that if a person does tshuva, this level of return from a standpoint of love, then they turn all of their mistakes into mitzvahs. Because all of their previous mistakes, if they direct them ultimately to the true path, they all turn out to have been guideposts to getting them to the right place. So this is the incredible thing. So I know, again, in my life, if I hadn't looked in that closet, which you could have said was a dead end because it wasn't there, I know that I would not have been opened up to look in the, in the garage because I would have clung... <coughs> Excuse me, I would have clung to my previous incorrect belief. Okay, that's lesson number one. Lesson number two, and listen carefully. I was right, it wasn't in the garage. I know that sounds confusing. I know that sounds confusing, but just stay with me. I was right, it wasn't in the garage. Now, what do I mean by that? Because I told you it was in the garage, and in fact it was in the garage. So let me... Untie that knot, okay, so that you understand what I'm saying. What do I mean I was right that it wasn't in the garage? I thought that there were X number of boxes in the garage with my comics. That's what I thought. And in fact, in those X number of boxes, I had checked them, and the comic wasn't in those boxes. So I was correct. Where was I wrong? There was a box that I didn't know about, and it was in that box. You see, now this is deep. This is deep. You know why? Because, again, we make this mistake all the time. People make this mistake all the time, which is that they think they're making an informed choice, but they don't have all the information. And so it's a very complicated, life is very complicated when it gets to this place, because in a way we are right. Because we're making decisions that are rational, but they're also incorrect because we don't have all the information. And, um, you know, I want to give you two, two stories that really illustrate this point very well. Because, to me, this is describing a very profound phenomena that exists in the world today, which is people's relationship and awareness of, of God himself. So let me, let, me, let me tell you two. One is a classic that I've repeated, but it's, it just, it's so good. You know, as Reb Shlomo would say, it's always good to hear again. So there's an old joke, um, which is that, that uh, back in the day, in, in Eastern Europe, the um, blintzes were considered really a great delicacy, and they were really for just rich people. Okay? So a poor man says to his wife, just once in my life I'd like to taste uh, a blintz. And his wife says, no problem, I'll make you blintzes, I'm happy to. Let me, I'll tell you the ingredients, you go ahead and get them, I'm going to make them for you. So he goes, fantastic. So she says, go get some cinnamon. Cinnamon, are you crazy? You know how expensive that is? Go get some raisins. Raisins, there haven't been raisins in, in you know how many years. Get some sugar. Sugar, that's so expensive. 
So get some flour. Okay, I can get you some flour and some water. I can get you some water. <laughs> so she does her best. She makes a, a, a blintz for him. He takes a bite. And he says, you know, I really don't know what rich people see in blintzes. <laughs> okay. So what's going on with this story? He thinks that he's actually tasted a blintz. And if someone, if he was in a conversation with people, he would say, oh, I've tasted blintzes, they're not so great. Meanwhile, what's the reality? The reality is he's never tasted a blintz in his life. But he thinks he knows what he's talking about. See, a lot of people, they think that they, they know what they're talking about when they're talking about God. They think that they know what they're talking about when they're talking about Judaism or Shabbos or whatever it is. They've never tasted it to begin with. And the unfortunate thing is, is that they're talking from a standpoint of thinking that they know when they never tasted it to begin with. So this is the idea, and I'm going to give you another example in a second. This is the idea of, of the extra box in the closet. In my mind, I actually was correct. There were four boxes, let's say. I checked all four of the boxes. It wasn't in any of the boxes, but I didn't know there was a fifth box. And it was in the fifth box. Okay, so now I'll give you another example. This sort of kind of came to me yesterday. So imagine there's a guy, right? And uh, it's a very fancy wedding, right? Imagine that he can tell you all the details of the wedding, right? He can tell you how many guests there are. And he can tell you who's seated at which tables and which table numbers. And he can tell you how much he paid for the flowers and how much he paid for the band and exactly what time they have to be finished with the hall, right? But he says he just said, doesn't know one thing. What's that? Which one of these people did I marry? Right? Can you imagine anything more heartbreaking? The guy knows absolutely everything except the only important thing he needs to know. He knows everything except the, except the one thing that he needs to know. You see, you look in the world of science and academia and the level of knowledge and it's vast, it's and it's overwhelming and it's beautiful and there's a holiness to it, right? Remember what Rebbe Nachman says, science is answering the question, how? Torah is answering the question, why? Right? So, so, so you can open up textbooks and you can go to professors and they can tell you the atomic weight of this and the molecular structure of that and the most amazing things. But they don't know who created the world. <laughs> right? That's, 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 that's the person at the wedding said, there's only one thing I don't know. Who did I marry? Who did I marry? Which is the, which is the only thing a person <laughs> needs to know, really. I mean, n nothing against science or gathering information. We love all that stuff. This is, it's all... We have to know all these things. This is all part of getting closer, right? We, we, we glory in all this information. We want this information. But we also need the key piece of information, which, which organizes all of the information, right? That's that we have a God 
that God made the world and that he loves us and that he's involved in our lives and that he gave us the Torah and the mitzvot. Right? Okay. Now I want to transition and I want to go I want to go really much deeper. And uh, and I was privileged to learn uh, in the Or Torah from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver some, some very, very deep ideas and I'm, I'm going to flesh them out a little bit and, and share them with you, okay? So, so I'm sorry? Oh, no, no, it's okay, thank you, thanks. Um, so, so, so in the beginning of creation, right? Okay, we're going to go deep now. In the beginning of creation, God shined a very, very, very great light. A very, very great light. And the light had such a level of intensity to it that there was no vessel that could hold this light. Right? You see, this whole world is a vessel which contains the light of God. But this initial light of creation that God shone into the world, shined into the world, was so intense that the vessel, the vessels that he put it into shattered because they couldn't contain this light. And they had, it's, this is called Shviras HaKalim, the shattering of the vessels. And basically all these holy sparks, and by the way, when we talk about these things, you have to understand there wasn't a, a big urn floating up in the sky, right? This is beyond, beyond, this is beyond, 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 beyond. Okay, we're talking about the deepest secrets of creation right now, and but the the rabbis had to articulate them in a certain language so that we would even have the the, the smallest opportunity to, to grasp these ideas. Okay, so I'm just telling you, don't don't take the imagery too literally because it will actually send you down the wrong path, not the right path. Okay, but nonetheless, it will give you just a taste of of trying to get in touch with the beginning of creation. So these, these vessels shatter and these sparks fall. And, and what we're doing right now, what we're doing right now, till Mashiach comes, till the world becomes repaired, is we're gathering up all the fallen sparks. Right? There's fallen sparks in, in every country, in every situation in our lives, in every mitzvah. There's the opportunity of lifting them up. That's what we're doing. This is the work of repairing creation from the very, very beginning stages. Okay? Again, whatever I'm telling you, it's 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 a hundred times deeper than whatever you're grasping, and and I have to remind myself of that too, okay? Because the problem is, is that if you just say, okay, so I know, okay, so then there was a, and it shattered, and there's a spark, and I did a mitzvah, then you 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 you're you're actually not understanding, okay? So you have to remind yourself of that, and that's it's a very important, necessary act of humility, which will actually help you to begin to actually understand it over the course of your life, okay? But you must begin with, with the premise of I'm not even grasping the smallest part of what this is saying. Okay. So with that, with that in mind, again, let's keep on going further. So our rabbis teach us on a very deep level that Hashem, when He created the world, that He created them with the Hebrew letters. 
Okay? Now, if you want to understand that from the standpoint of physics, you can say that each of the letters was like a different energy wavelength, and that these energy wavelengths correlate with the letters, and God combined these energies in order to make the world. Okay? That's, that would be a more sort of like modern scientific way of understanding this ancient teaching. Okay? But anyway, if you look at the actual letters themselves, the letters themselves are completely beautiful. They're, 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 they're holy and they're beautiful. And the shapes of the letters teach us incredible lessons and everything like this. And probably the, maybe the, one of, certainly one of the top two or three books that I can recommend to you is The Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet by Rabbi Monk. It's issued by Art Scroll. It's, it's a must. It's an absolute must to have in your library. And just don't read it too quickly. Maybe read a letter a day or a letter a week or something like this and really try to absorb it. Unbelievable book. Unbelievable book. So, so the shape of a letter. The shape of a letter is very, very significant. Now, at the top of a letter, you have something called um, the, the crown of the letter. Okay? And these are also called the tagging. And what they are, are they're these um, almost like um, stalks that, that, that are beautifications that grow from the top of the letter. And in a printed Hebrew book, in most printed Hebrew books, you won't see them. You don't see them at all because they don't reproduce them. But if you look in a Torah scroll, you'll see these beautiful crowns to the letters, right? And some don't have any crown, certain letters. There's a, a very... Um, exact system, which letter has no, which letters have no crowns, which letter have one crown, which letter have three crowns, the ones with three crowns, one goes to the left, one goes to the right, and one comes up in the middle, okay, and the, the Gemara says that Rabbi Akiva, in his greatness, and this was something that, that astonished Moshe Rabbeinu, right, this is in, in the Gemara in Menachos, they, they explain the whole story, that, that, that the crowns of the letters that, that Rabbi Akiva could learn halachas, like the way to conduct our life and the way God, you know, made the world from the crowns of the letters themselves. So this is a level that's so exalted that it blew Moshe Rabbeinu's mind, okay? And Moshe is the one who got the Torah, okay? So this is just to give you an idea of the holiness and just how amazing the crowns of the letters are. Now, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver who is a very great Kabbalist, explains that when, when, the, when you have the Shvira Sakalim, when you have the shattering of the vessels, the crowns of the letters broke off. See? The crowns of the letters broke off. And this is already, this is already getting very, very deep. Right? And this is associated with the idea of tohu, of which is, which is the initial chaos. When we talk about the world was astonishingly void at the opening of creation. We use the word tohu for that. And tohu, actually, very interestingly, and very surprisingly, almost shockingly, correlates with Esav. So how, how is that? How, how is that the case? Because we know we have Yaakov, right? Jacob, who's the absolute, the choice of the Avos. You have Avraham, Yitzchak, and 
Yaakov, Yaakov is, is, is the one that all the tribes come from, right? So Yaakov is amazing. And yet you're telling me that the crowns of the letters are associated somehow with Esav. And again, Esav is, is, this is the, when we say it's associated with Esav, that's the point in creation where the vessels couldn't hold the light and shattered and we're still trying to redeem that. So we see two things going on simultaneously here. And this is very, very important. On the one hand, we see that in some, in some way it's even higher. And in the other way, we see that it completely shattered and has to be redeemed. You're following these two points, right? So how do we see this in the story of Asaph himself? Because we know that when it came time for the blessing that, remember, Abraham blesses Yitzchak. And now Yitzchak is going to take the line, the Jewish line, and he's going to give the blessing to the next generation. And he intends to give it to Esav. Why would he give it to Esav? Esav, we know the Medrash said, was that he was raping and he was murdering and he was stealing. How, how could it be that he's going to give it to Esav and he's not going to give it to Yaakov? Right? This is the, 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 the question that everyone, there's like volumes and volumes and volumes and libraries written on this question. So the, remember, Esav was a, a great hunter. And he also had the mitzvah of kibbutz aim. He really honored his father in the most incredible way. So, so it, it was explained to me, Yitzchak Muller, Rabbi Yitzchak Muller explained it to me many years ago. He said, why is it that Yitzchak wanted to give it to Esau? Because he was hoping until the very last moment that Esau would do tshuva. That Esau would return and become a tzaddik. He knew where Esav was holding spiritually, that he was on a low level. But he hoped that he would be able to, now listen carefully, essentially become the fully realized person. Someone who could be a hunter out in the field, someone who was very much out in the, in, in the world, so to speak, and yet someone who could simultaneously be a holy man. That those two ideas shouldn't be separate but that they should be fused together in one person, and that would be the absolute ideal. Right? But we know that Esau didn't, didn't make it. He didn't make it. Now, you, and this is just coming into my head right now. What did we just say? That Esau is associated with the crowns of the letters? Right? You want to hear that this is a mind blower. What do we say? Esau's head. Right? What's the crown of your body, your head? Esau's head is buried in Mar Samach Pelah. Right? It got chopped off by Hushim, who's the son of Dan, or the grandson of Dan. And the Ben Yoyada says, if you rearrange the letters of Hushim, it spells Mashiach. <laughs> right? Which is the fixing of the world. Unbelievable, right? I've got chills. You know? So, so his head, you see, Esav, the head, the crowns of the letters. And the crowns of the letters, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber says, is associated with the kings of Edom. Edom is the line of Esau. Okay? Okay. So now, let's go further. I'll tell you something else, just because it's, because it's deep. You see, Rivka, right, Yitzchak's wife, or Holy Mother Rivka, 
tells Yaakov, Rivka knows the score, right? Because women are more tuned in to these things. So Rivka tells Yaakov, you have to dress up like Esav. Remember, Yitzchak is blind. And you have to go in and you have to take the bracha. And Yaakov says to his mother, but if my father finds out, he's going to curse me and I'm going to die. So she says, you have to do it anyway. So how is that, spiritually speaking, what are the mechanics of what's going on over there? Now listen, listen carefully, because there's something, there's a life lesson in this. You see, Esav, what did we just say? Esav had the mitzvah of honoring his father. This is one of the greatest mitzvahs in the Torah. On a level that Yaakov didn't even have it. So in order to supplant, in order to replace Esav, Yaakov had to do the mitzvah of kibbutz Ave'em, of honoring his parents, in this case his mother, in a way where he was literally putting his life on the line. By doing that, he was able to leverage it and then to have the merit to replace Esav. In other words, Esav was very great at, at honoring his parents, but now Yaakov is coming in and literally putting his life at stake in the performance of this mitzvah. And in doing so, he was able to have the schus, the merit, to replace Esav and to go in and to get the bracha. Do you follow? Do you hear? So there's all sorts of, remember, anyway, let's keep on going. So now let's revisit this idea. Now we can answer the question, which is otherwise a very, very confusing idea. How could it be at the beginning of creation that you're saying that tohu, this, this, like, this epic event at the very um, uh, beginning of creation, the shattering of the vessels, that initial light, how could that be associated with Esav of all people? A rapist, murderer, thief. Right? And seemingly a, 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 a level above Yaakov even somehow. How could it be? And we see that, that, that the ideal is to be this fully realized person, someone who's in the world, but at the same time a holy person at Sadiq or at Sadiqus, who's, who's revealing the oneness of God, not by running away from the world, but by lifting up the entire world. To the person who can fuse these things together and, and we're trying to get to this state still, Humanity is still on this journey of fusing these two ideas together. We still haven't got there. This is the ultimate. But there weren't vessels to hold this light yet. So these are the crowns of the letters. So now the crowns of the letters got separated from the letters themselves. Now you see, Rav Shlomo would ask a question, and this is like a very, it's a very kind of like, trenchant kind of question. This is something that kind of can break your heart, a question like this, if you think about it. He would say, is your below connected to your above? Right? Is your below connected to your above? See now, believe me, there's a mountain of meanings that, that can fit into that. And he's capturing all of them. So on the level of humanity, on the level of creation, you see when the crowns of the letters got split from the letters, 
that on a very deep level our below was no longer connected to our above. Meaning to say there was the illusion of separation between us and God. It's an illusion. God is as equally present in this realm as he is in the highest spiritual realms. But it's covered over. There's this illusion of separation. And what we're trying to do is to reveal God's oneness. We're not trying to bring God down into this world. We're trying to reveal God's presence, which is already in this world. And that will cause an even higher revelation to come down. All right. Now listen to this. The rabbis teach something very deep about the 6,000-year period of creation. They say that there's 2,000 years of tohu, of like desolation. Then there's 2,000 years of Torah. And then there's 2,000 years of basically Mashiach. That Mashiach can happen at any point. Okay? So the 2,000 years, when is, this is on the Torah calendar, right? The, the fi, right, we're at 5,776, is it? 70, whatever it is. So on, the, on, on that calendar, in the year 1948, that's when Abraham Avinu is born. Abraham, our father. That's when he's born. So 1948, pretty darn close to 2,000, right? Now, let me ask you a question. And we're still on the same subject of the crowns and the letters and everything like that, but we're just going deeper and we're going to return to it, okay? Let me ask you a question. I think everybody knows that the first real, that the first mitzvah that, that Abraham is given is the, is the mitzvah of bris milah, right? right? So men are born with an extra piece of skin on them, and you have to uncover, you have to remove this skin, and that's an uncover. So, you know, there's 613 mitzvahs. God could have given them, good, God could have given Abraham kashrus, keeping kosher, could have given him Shabbos, could have given him a, a lot of different mitzvahs. Why did he give him bris milah first? I never really thought about that. Never really thought about that. But Rav Yitzhak Isaacover is teaching something very amazing here. That there's a very exact correlation. Remember, Avraham is ushering in the two thousand, the second two thousand year stage of Torah. Meaning to say, the first two thousand years are like chaos, oblivion. The second two thousand years, beginning with Avraham, is one of revelation is one of uncovering, is one of the revelation of the oneness of God in this world. Ah, what mitzvah is that? Brismillah. Do you see an exact parallel, an exact parallel between the uncovering that takes place on his body and his mission in this world, which is to uncover the oneness of God and a marked departure from the first 2,000 years of creation. And when does that reach its apex? That bris that God makes with Abraham and the Jewish people, when does it reach its apex? At the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now listen to this. This is where it all comes together. This is, for me, this blows my mind. Listen to this. So Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber didn't bring this, but I'm, 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 I'm bringing this. So there's a a famous Gemara 
in in Shabbos it's a an pay test, right? Page eighty nine, a Amid Aleph, and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says something amazing. Piece of Agadita. He says that when Moshe ascended Mount Sinai, he saw that Hashem was busy doing something. You ready for this? You know what Hashem was doing? He was attaching the crowns to the letters. Do you see what that means? When God gave the Torah, it was the repairing of creation from the initial event. That's the repairing of the world. Because what happened at the initial point of creation, the crowns broke off the letters. So when Moshe Rabbeinu is coming up, he sees Hashem putting the crowns back on the letters. Because the Torah is the repairing, is the repairing of creation. And that's the the culmination of the work of Avraham Avinu, who has now given birth to an entire nation which is going to reveal the oneness of God through the Torah and through the performance of the mitzvot. And now with this in mind, with this in mind, you can have an even better appreciation of what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver does bring, which is that what does it say happened when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai? Crowns. The angels put crowns on our heads. And what does it say? It says that every single Jew is a letter in the Torah. (laughs) There you have the ultimate fusion of the Torah and creation and humanity where we as the living embodiment of the letters themselves are having the crowns on our heads. And what does it say? After we worship the golden calf, we gave up the crowns as, as, as an act of tshuva because we weren't there yet. We weren't ready for it yet. Again, it's, it's mirroring the shattering of the initial vessels. But we're so much closer at this point. We're so much closer. And what does the Gomorrah say? That the crowns will return to our heads. That that's our destiny. That's our destiny. And that's the fixing, that's the fixing of creation itself. That's the full revelation of us who we are, who we can be, the world, what the world is, what the world will be, what the world is waiting to be.